welcome back to season two of Outside of Session. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and therapist BFF, Julie Hilton. This season, I'm interviewing some incredible guests who also happen to be experts in their fields. Mental health, motherhood, spirituality, and so much more, I can't wait for their stories to be told. These are all the conversations I'm having outside of session. Hey everyone, welcome back to Outside of Session. For this week's episode, I sat down with Chandler Dunham, who is a licensed master social worker here in the Atlanta area who works at Whole Heart Psychotherapy Group. And she specializes in eating disorders. So today we're gonna have a conversation all about body love, your relationship with your body. Um, She just specializes in working with people and helping heal their relationship with food and with their body. So I'm really excited about today's episode. Chandler also specializes in trauma with eating disorders and also uses mindfulness brain spotting, which is a really interesting type of therapy. Um, And she also helps develop self-compassion and cultivate self-compassion for adults and adolescents. She also recently, literally within the last couple of weeks, self-published a body image workbook, um, which I will be linking in the show notes as well, obviously ways to contact her, um, but make sure you check out her her body image workbook, which is called Reclaiming Your Reflection, which I just love so much. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's dive into our conversation with Chandler. (laughs) Good morning, Chandler. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited too. I feel like this is um, a conversation that's so needed and um, I was telling you just a minute ago before we started recording that I did a couple of episodes last season just on things like um, mental health. And if you're on a weight loss journey, we did some um, body image stuff like that. But you are an expert in this. Like this is what you really specialize in. Um, so that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I think it'll be a good conversation. Yeah. So to start off, one of the things that I really wanted to focus on um, to start off with is something that even I can learn a lot from you, I feel like. And that is there's this like, there's a lot of these conversations that I see going on now and the term disordered eating patterns is like everywhere. And I feel like people are becoming really confused on what the difference is between like, what is a diagnosable eating disorder that you need to get specific kind of help for versus what are disorder eating patterns that potentially a lot of us have because we've been submerged in diet culture since we were probably like eight years old, you know? So I was just wondering if you could help us have a better understanding of what those definitions are and what you see in your practice of how you define what is a disordered eating pattern and how it's not necessarily the same thing as having an eating disorder. Yeah. I always think of like eating disorders as clinical diagnoses and disordered eating just isn't. I, cause like when I think about like eating, I think about it on this like spectrum of like, we have like mm-hmm. quote unquote normal intuitive eating. And then on the other end of the spectrum, eating disorder. And so disordered eating can kind of fall anywhere between the two, whereas eating disorders, yeah, eating disorders are like that, like extreme form of disordered eating. So the simple answer, I guess, is that like that eating disorders meet this critical clinical diagnosis perspective. Yeah. When it comes to like disordered eating, not everyone who engages in disordered eating would meet criteria for an eating disorder. Right, right. But we see so often like disordered eating behaviors can be triggers for eating disorders. And so people Mm -hmm. who might have distorted body image or who have like a body shape or weight that's used as a primary measure of Mm self-worth or who have strict rules around food or exercise or they restrict a lot of foods or different food groups or they use really unhealthy weight control behaviors like skipping meals or fasting or using laxative pills or diet pills 
vomiting after eating, um, people who kind of engage in like extreme like gym bro culture, you know, like Mm -hmm. using steroids and all the things there. Um, If we see a lot of fluctuations in weight, like that can even be signs of disordered Mm -hmm. eating, potentially eating disorder. Um, People who feel out of control when eating might be struggling with some kind of disordered eating, eating for comfort rather than for hunger eating large quantities of food late at night. Like there's so many little things that could show up when we think of disordered eating. Like I always think it's like curious to get mindful of like, how does this impact my social life? How does this impact Mm. my day to day? Mm -hmm. Because I think that kind of gives off like warning signs, like maybe something is not quote unquote normal intuitive here. Yeah. I love that. I talk a lot about how so many things are a spectrum. Anxiety is a spectrum. Um, Even things like OCD can be a spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a thing that you either have or don't have. Yeah. And I like what you're saying because on one extreme end, you have people that have an eating disorder that require not just um, like therapy and psychological interventions, but also medical interventions Mm -hmm. as well, right? Like you start to see how it affects your... I don't know, you can speak to this more than I can, but like blood work and things like that, yeah, right? Like your cardiovascular um, health, GI, yes. all the things. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you probably have people that yo-yo diet a lot. Yeah. Which like to the yo-yo dieting, like we can even look at that through like a disordered eating lens because essentially that's a binge restrict cycle, right? Like we're mm. restricting foods, we're cutting food groups out. And then all of a sudden it's like, F it. I'm just going to eat it all. Like diet starts again Monday. Like, and we get stuck in this cycle, which like can also have negative psychological and health implications. Mm -hmm. Like both of those things can be really harmful to self-worth and to like our physical well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we hadn't really talked about this question before, so I hope it's okay to ask it kind of like off the cuff, but what are your thoughts on someone who, um, wants to lose some weight. Maybe for, maybe for health reasons. Um, like, do you think that the, the motivation behind it makes a difference? Like, what would you say to someone that says, I, I want to love myself really, really well, but I also want to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, something like that. How do you approach that? I think like, I always get really curious, like the intention, like, like, why do you need to lose 10, 20 pounds? Like what's going on here that like where weight loss feels really important? How is like the weight that you have right now, like negatively impacting you? I think what is so hard is like society speaking, like we experience so much fat phobia in our society. We are swimming in diet culture constantly. And so there can be a lot of just like harsh feedback, like whether it's like direct feedback or just like things that like we experience like in a passive level about body. So I always get really, really curious the why there. I don't like inherently think that like all weight loss is like terrible, but I do think like if that is something that people are pursuing, like being able to do it in a safe way in a way that's still honoring all of your body's needs um, and in a way that's like lifestyle, like appropriate question mark. Like it's just like, I don't think it has to be like all weight loss is bad, just like all eating disorders are bad. You know, like I think, again, there's a spectrum there of like some people do want to lose weight, but how can we do it in a way that's like safe, that can be long term and that's honoring your body mm-hmm. and that's not rooted in shame. Yeah, I feel like that is – that's such a hard question to answer. Yeah. It really, really is because there's so many different factors. There's motivation. There's mindset that goes into it. There's, um, it how, how do you even recognize if it's coming from a place of shame or not? You know, because I think a lot of us, um, like shame can also be almost like sugar-coated as self-love, mm. right? Yeah. Um, like especially diet culture now has been rebranded to wellness culture. Yep. Yasha's ear. She's nodding her head. I care of myself. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's about um, making sure we use food for fuel and and things that sound so much more healthy, but it's just like, no, at the end of the day, you're trying to be skinny. You're trying to be thin. Like thin is still the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which 
is like its own eating disorder, like orthorexia, like the overvalued health, like is an eating disorder. And so like, is food and body taking up so much brain space that like, like other areas of our life are missing? Like, then that's no longer healthy, right? Like, I think even with like health and wellness, like diet culture does not often mention like what all encompasses health. Is health only food and body? No, like we have relational health, we have financial health, like we have all these different spectrums of health. And so how are we also honoring those things? And how does our relationship with our body show up there? Yeah. I, um, I have to tell you a couple of weeks ago, I went to get just like a physical done and blood work and stuff like that. And I had gained six pounds. So, well, first of all, I get there and the, the nurse is like, um, taking my vitals and I step on the scale and she said, everybody's least favorite part. Mm. And she said it kind of like joking, but I immediately was like, okay, so you're reinforcing that this should be a, like, painful part of the visit that, that nobody likes. Mm. And it was just kind of like a punch in the gut to me. Cause I was like, Ugh, stop saying things like that, you know? And so I told her, actually, I don't mind it. You know what I mean? Like trying to bring in a positive life of like, not all women have a bad relationship with the scale. And so she was like, Oh, okay. And so then I go into my doctor, um, actual visit and the doctor comes in and when she, kind of sat down and she was like, how's everything going? And I I don't have like a really good relationship with her or anything like that. But her immediate thing was, oh, I see you've gained, gained weight. And we're talking six pounds. Yeah. Like nothing. And her response literally was to say, what happened? No, ma'am. And I was just like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, what's going on? She was like, you've gained weight. And I was like, but I don't see that as a bad thing. Is that a bad thing? And she like chuckled a little bit because she could see that I was someone that was kind of like pushing back a little bit. And she said, well, your BMI is officially, and like went into the whole BMI conversation, right? Gag. <laughs> Chandler's like sticking her finger in her mouth, like gagging herself, you know? And so, but even I, as someone who has worked really, really hard to try to like get away from that and heal that part of myself, because I've definitely like shared a lot about my story and, and my history with that. Um, but even I was just like, oh my gosh, it's a doctor telling me that though. And so it really messes when your head with it, when it's like, it's not society saying something, it's a, a, a medical doctor telling you this is a concern. But I even asked her, I was like, so what's your concern about my health? And she couldn't answer the question other than your BMI is now a number that we don't recommend. Which is BS because yeah. the BMI is based on white men in the 1800s, right? Like, not even developed by a physician. Yeah. Like, so why are we using that as an indicator of health? Right. A lot of Western medicine is rooted in fat phobia. Like, folks in bigger bodies will go to the doctor for strep throat and be told to lose weight. Yeah, and that's absolutely. not why they're there, you know? And so then it also, actually creates more problems because then people are avoidant of the doctor. So then they can't actually have their health because they don't want to be shamed for their body. Mm -hmm. Like the medical fat phobia is so harmful there. And what is double BS, just to rant a little, like most of our bodies, like our ideal body weight exists on a spectrum. Like we hang out in a five to 10 pound range. Who's to say that you actually gained six pounds or that like one day, your weight was just slightly lower. Like that's not a huge gap. Right. Yeah. I saw this. Um, I can't even remember who it was. It was somebody on Instagram. Um, and she promotes a lot of like body positivity and I really related with her because she was like, y'all I'm, I can't remember what height she was, but I like related to it because I'm five, nine, I'm built a little bit more athletic. And so she was saying, I think she was like six feet tall. She was like, if we look at dogs, She was like a German shepherd trying to get down to a chihuahua's weight (laughs) is so ridiculous because she was like, they're two different body types. And so like, there is no room for individuality in diet culture. Like there's just like numbers. There's numbers and there's like very specific like ideals, like I, with a lot of my clients, talk about cake flavors, um, and everyone always looks really confused when I say this, but I'm like, what's your favorite kind of cake? Like, for you, like, what's your favorite kind of cake? I think I'm going to go with, like, a Funfetti. 
Okay. If someone told you like, eh, like, I don't really like, like fun funny, like my favorite is carrot cake. Would you start like adding carrots to your recipe whenever you make fun funny <laughs> cake for your birthday? No. <laughs> yeah. But like we see in diet culture, like this body is the right body. And we're so mm. quick to try to change ourselves, like to try to change our recipe to like get to be the right thing to be more palatable for others. Yeah. And like that just ends us feel leaves us feeling inauthentic, leaves us feeling horrible because like we're no longer ourselves and we're neglecting like our own needs and adding things to ourselves that just don't feel right. Yeah, I love that. I love the cake metaphor. Yeah, I'm a big baker, and so I felt like it just into my brain. <laughs> so at this point, um, like working with your clients, what do you think is the biggest negative influence on body image? Like what what do you see come up a lot with your clients? I think just like broadly comparison, like comparison mm-hmm. on social media, in real life, mm-hmm. to siblings, to friends, influence from diet culture, fat phobia. Like I think there's just like this deep seated need to compare because like we we find safety in it. It's like, oh like, well if I'm smaller than her, like then like maybe like I'm okay or like I'm attractive mm-hmm. still or like there's there's so much comparison that negatively impacts our body image. And, like, I always come into this, like, affirmation of, like, the presence of someone else's beauty doesn't mean the absence of mine, right? Like, this doesn't have to be, like, slices of pie. Like, we can – again, baking. Um, (laughs) We can still, like – we can still be worthy. Like, this doesn't have to be a competition. Like, diet culture, capitalism, like, they create so much competition for us, and it doesn't have to be there. God, that's so true. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about comparison is um, not only is it a, a lack of knowing yourself because you're having to look look externally to, like you said, figure out whether or not this is like whether or not I'm good enough. Um, but I also feel like people in general are so black and white thinking. Like that's a lot, that's something that a lot of people struggle with, right? And one of the reasons why I think that is, is because when you try to learn to live in like this gray area, you have to stop comparing yourself Mm -hmm. because there isn't a good or a bad, a right or a wrong, a black or a white. It's very much just like being and existing in that space. And we don't do well with that. And I think that like, even as kids, like we're set up to fail with that because I am very much against grades Okay. <laughs> I feel you. Up, because I feel like that's our first taste of comparison and measuring yourself and measuring your worth and you're good enough, right? Like you either get an A, a B or a C, and then you look at all your friends to say, is that normal to have gotten a C on this test? Well, if everybody else got an A, then I must be the problem. And um, the same thing like with attendance, like taking attendance as a kid, like you're rewarded for perfect attendance, you know, like we're given all these messages at a very young age of what makes us good and what makes us bad. And especially for women, like, I think we start to blend those message ends. Like, I think I read one time and and maybe you know more about this, but that girls self-esteem start to drop at age eight. Have you ever heard that before? Is that what it is? It is eight. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, and like, you got it. (laughs) No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like with like the guilt and shame components, like we see it come up even with like, food because like someone will get lunch with a friend and like we'll order a sandwich they'll order a salad and all of a sudden like we feel guilty because like we ordered the quote-unquote bad food because we have all these food rules caused by diet culture and it's like yes. oh my God, we should have gotten a salad. you know what I mean like we then even spiral there and it's like well of course she's like happier or prettier or whatever like she got the salad and it's like whoa like where did all that like morality come from like a sandwich is just a sandwich, which could be a balanced meal, you know? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you think social media, obviously I think this is like a no brainer. Um, but diet culture, even in like the nineties before social media was a thing, it was the magazines at the rack Mm -hmm. at the grocery store, right. Telling our moms how to lose 10 pounds before the holidays, you know? Um, so there's always been an image that's projected. And I always say diet culture does not make money if you are happy with yourself. So they are not trying to make you be happy with yourself because they don't make any money then. They are feeding off of you. They need you to 
be unhappy with your body. So, which is such a, like a, you know what I mean? Like they're packaging it as we can help you love yourself, but they are counting on you not being happy. Well, and they're counting on their diets failing because if the product worked, you wouldn't keep coming back to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but the product doesn't work. So you have to keep coming back to diet culture. So you have to keep feeding yourself. It's like this cyclical cycle so rooted in capitalism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do about it? (laughs) What do we as women especially, um, like how do we – fight against this and work to heal ourselves. Like, um, what do we do about it, Chandler? <laughs> I think there's like kind of a couple different spaces to explore there. Like if we are like looking like purely at like food, like I like really love concepts of intuitive eating. Like intuitive eating is so rooted in like eating what you like need and what you want. It's so rooted in building body trust. And I think building body trust is so scary. Like back to like that comparison idea of like, we have to trust ourselves. Like we like can't use other people as a barometer because now we're going to listen to our body and honor our body's cues. And this always feels so daunting to people when I'm talking to them about it. And like, I always like to point out, like we do that a lot of the time. Like whenever you have to go to the bathroom, like you go, you know, like your body Mm -hmm. tells you when you go for the most part, I'm sure. I like that. You know, like sometimes maybe people don't, but like sometimes we try to hold it. But for the most part, like we go to the bathroom, we're listening to our body. Like I think when it comes to food, like we then start to get like a little bit scared because it's like, well, what's going to happen if I don't control what I'm eating? Like, am I only going to eat the chips? But that often doesn't happen. You know, like at the beginning of intuitive eating, like you might find yourself like reaching for like the fun foods that had been restricted before, which is super normal. Mm -hmm. But then like it levels out, like chips just become another food. Like chips are equal to carrots. It doesn't matter. Whichever one sounds good in the moment you can have. And so there's so much more freedom with food and body there. Yeah. I want to hear so much more about that. So what I'm hearing you say is that especially in your work with your clients, building trust with yourself is probably like one of the foundations that you work on. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about that, about that what that looks like in therapy? Yeah. I think it kind of depends on like where a client is coming to me from. Because if I'm working with someone like with a diagnosed eating disorder, we typically have some like medical components going on that mm-hmm. like we also have to address. Um, like if someone is in recovery from an eating disorder, weight restoration might be a part of that journey. Yeah. And so working with a dietitian, working with a physician to make sure like we're getting weight back up to like a healthy spot, you know, right. to where then we can really start doing some more of that like body trust work. I think what's so hard too is so many women have trained their body to like need less fuel. So hunger cues mm. are actually quite off. Whenever um, like weight restoration has happened, like we have to make sure we're eating enough food because like I said, like so many women like are under eating often. I don't know about like people in your parents' generation. Um, My mom often describes herself as like, I just eat like a bird. And it's like, no, you've trained yourself to under eat. Like you actually need to eat more. Um, All my mom. Yeah. Um, And so we have done such a disservice to women because that under eating does have other health impacts. Like actually under eating has so much more negative health implications than overeating. And we hear from a medical perspective, how much people need to lose weight when in reality, like the under eating is so harmful. And so I think I always start with eating enough. Like, Mm -hmm. can we make sure we're eating enough in a day? And then from there, like, can we make sure we're getting enough of each food group? I always recommend working with a dietitian here. I think that they are so great at providing this education, especially one who is certified in intuitive eating, someone who is health at every size aligned. Yes. Um, I just think that those two aspects make working with a dietitian so much safer. Can you explain really quickly what health at every size is? Because I think a lot of people have never heard of that. Yes. Health at every size or haze um, is something that like you might see as you're starting an intuitive eating journey, starting looking at like disordered eating things. It's 
a newer movement. I'm, mm-hmm. I want to say it popped up in like the 2010s, but I could be totally making that up. Um, but it's really this idea that people in all bodies deserve healthcare and deserve to be treated with respect in healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. And so we are acknowledging like ways that bodies are healthy, ways that like we can provide quality care and like ways that like we can take care of our health from like multiple sizes. Like it's not just one definition of health. Yeah. And I think there's not, not that I know of, there's no kind of like certification to show. It's kind of like if you are, um, like for a therapist, if you're queer affirming, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do anything. You just have to make sure like, that's just a platform that you stand on that if you're, if you're queer, you're safe with me. And I think it's the same thing with Hayes. Like if you're, um, if you're in, especially a bigger body and you have faced discrimination from a medical provider, um, even like my doctor last week, um, you can kind of, you can ask and screen for, are you, how would you phrase it? Like a, a Hayes affirming. He's aligned. Yeah. He's aligned. aligned. That's a good word for it. Um, and if doctors say, I don't know what that means, that means probably they're not. not. (laughs) They probably haven't done, um, that kind of research, but it's a a way of letting people know that I'm not going to assume that you're unhealthy. If you come to me for care, uh, in a bigger body. Yeah. And it's, I'm going to listen to whatever concern you're bringing in and not automatically blame it on your weight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I have a couple of clients that have other medical issues. Um, and they do every time they go to seek any kind of, it could be a cold, like you said, like it could be something completely unrelated. Um, you could go in with a fractured foot and they'd be like, yeah, you probably need to lose some weight, get some weight off of that, <laughs> that bone. You know what I mean? And it's just like, ah, when I was in um, grad school, my degree is also in social work. We had to like pair up for this like interdisciplinary day with the med students, nursing students, dental students, social work. And we're all at this table and they give us like this case presentation. It's like this woman comes to the doctor because like she, her tooth hurts and this is happening and la da 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 Oh, like, and like, she's like slightly overweight. And immediately every medical professional at the table is like, oh, like she just needs to lose weight. And I was like, no, absolutely. Like she's here for a toothache. Like, can we address her toothache? Like, can we hear what she's here for? It is wild how like ingrained yeah. it is. And yeah. that's yeah. So I would encourage anybody if they have had an experience like that, um, seek out a haze aligned physician yeah. or medical care provider because it really it makes a complete it'll you'll have a completely different experience. And there are awesome cards. There's like if you Google like don't weigh me cards or don't talk to me about weight cards, there are these like little PDFs that you can print and give your doctor and it's like it, they say don't talk to me about weight unless medically necessary for the condition mm-hmm. that I'm here for. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel the like you are able to say that to your doctor, you can give them this card. They can put it in your chart. I've emailed doctors and things for clients before being like, don't talk to my clients about this. This is something we're working on. And so we can even use like your treatment team, your support team to help advocate for you too. That's your learning to advocate for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause for a quick moment to say thank you so much for all the love and support that you're showing outside of session. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends. Help me take this show to another level. Now back to today's episode. So going back to what you were saying before about building trust with yourself. And I know that um, intuitive eating is a big part of that, but can you speak a little bit more to uh, the, like the therapy side, the clinical piece of what does it even mean to trust yourself and trust your body? Yeah. I guess like I always think about like whenever you get like a hunger cue, a craving cue, a movement cue, what is it like to honor that? Like Mm. if you are like, at the grocery store and you're like, oh, like Sour Patch Kids sound good, is your immediate response like, oh my gosh, I can't have candy in the house? Or is it like, oh yeah, like I can throw those in my cart and we can have some later or like whatever. Like I always think about like what is impacting kind of like your thought process and decision making Mm. Um, and just like building that trust with self from a decision making perspective, whether it's purely with food and exercise or 
in all aspects of life, like how do you make decisions? You know, is it based on like your values, your strengths, your goals, or is it based on like other messages that like you've been told to care about? Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I had, um, I've had this happen with a couple of different clients and we were actually doing some parts work mm-hmm. and they were um, like constantly on a diet mm. and they were, they would beat themselves up and they were stuck in that cycle of um, like just beating themselves up about, about their weight. And so in parts work, you kind of look at that part and say, what are you afraid will happen if I don't constantly have that inner monologue? And they would always say, like it's happened a couple of different times where they, they would say, they would, they would learn that if I don't beat myself up about it, then I think I won't care about this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there was this fear of I'll just go off the rails and I won't take care of myself at all. And like you were saying before, like obviously that is so rooted in shame and fat phobia and all of those things. But we also got to a place of asking ourselves, do you think that being on a diet is the only thing that that causes you to care about your health? Is that the mm-hmm. only reason that the only part of you that cares about your health is the one that wants you to be on a diet? So if you weren't on this diet and you didn't have this negative inner monologue all the time, do you think that you just all of a sudden would stop caring about your body? And it was a moment of a real realization of they were like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about my body any less and my health and taking care of it and good movement and listening to those cues. Like you're saying, I wouldn't all of a sudden throw all of that out of the window. If I learned to be kind to myself, I would still very much want to take care of my body probably for better reasons like longevity and, um, for, Like just feeling good, just feeling good, but movement when we're 80 years old, you know what I mean? And that was a really big breakthrough for them that for so long they had convinced themselves that the only way that they would stay interested in caring about their health is if they came from a place of shame and beating themselves Mm -hmm. up. And once they were able to work through that to say, I don't have to do this anymore to care for my body. Like that's a, that's a value of mine at my core. That's not going to go away if I release this shame spiral. And I think that's where like intuitive eating meets self-compassion, right? Because I think there's like this misunderstanding with intuitive eating. That's like, I'm just eating whatever I want, whatever I want. But it's like intuitive eating includes eating what you need, you know, like it honors all food groups and it's, honoring your hunger, fullness, and satiety. And so it's saying like, oh, like I'm actually full. I'm good here. Like I don't need to keep eating. I can have pizza later if I want to, but like I'm good right now. Or like, I don't know about you. I feel like after I travel, every time I come home, I'm like, I just want a salad. Like I feel like I've been like eating all the fun foods. Like my body is craving like something like crispy and you know what I mean? And so like that's intuitive, right? Like that's my body is saying like, mm. we're having some mineral deficiencies here. <laughs> like give us what we want and need. And so like. That's so interesting to hear you say it that way, because some people would say, I need to eat a salad because I've been so quote unquote bad on vacation. Mm. But what you're saying is that when you actually know your body really, really well, you crave things that are really good for you. Yeah. Which is like. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> yeah. And like, I also crave things like pizza. Like I also crave things like pasta, like, but those things are equal to me for salad. You know, it's like yeah. whatever sounds good, like I just get to have and I get to eat until I'm satisfied, which is so yeah. nice. So what would you say some of like when you're working with a client that has um, probably maybe not a, a, the eating disorder that we were talking mm-hmm. about where you're actually working on um, – weight restoration and those kind of things, but someone who's probably the typical yo-yo dieter, been in diet culture for a really long time, and they're working on healing that part of themselves. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like are some realistic goals would be to set with those clients? I guess like I kind of like to start working on like body tolerance, acceptance, or love, whatever like the client's individual goal is. Like, do they just want to tolerate their body? Do they want to be able to accept it and feel super neutral about it? Or do they want to love it? Each person has like 
their really own ideal relationship with body. And that may change over time too. Like whenever someone starts working with me, like the idea of body love might be so out of depth and that's totally okay. Like we can start wherever they feel is good. And like once we kind of clarify that, like that's when we can start doing more of that like deeper work. And there's this book called The Gift of Self-Love. Yeah, The Gift of Self-Love. And the author of her Instagram name is Mary's Cup of Tea. She's super cute. She's in recovery from eating disorder. And there she has this um, exercise called a self-love vision statement, but you can do like a self-acceptance vision statement, whatever. But it goes through kind of six questions of like, what does self-love look like to you? What would you Mm -hmm. wear if you loved yourself? What would you do? What would be different? And so like, once we can identify those things, how can we start moving towards those? I even think like from that same perspective, it's like, what rules do I have in place right now that keep me from there? Like, do I have certain food rules that are causing shame? Mm -hmm. And like, what are those rules giving me? Like from that same IFS perspective of like, Typically, a lot of these behaviors are protective. What do I need to let them go? You know? And so, starting to do some of that work and just like identifying, like, what is, what's keeping me from getting there and how do I, how do I let it go? Mm-hmm. I recently published a really fun body image workbook that I'm so excited about. Yes. Tell us all about that. <laughs> um, so, I, think it's really cute. It goes into like every week, there's like a weekly check-in, like where you identify like three things about your body that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. These could be aesthetic or function, but like we see in the research how much body appreciation really boosts positive body image. We're able to acknowledge all the good that our body does from for us. Um, In the weekly check-ins, like there's ask for like how you can celebrate your body this week, how you can be kind to your body this week. I lead a teen body image group and those are always two of our checkout questions or what's something you're grateful for about your body and how can you be kind to your body this week? Mm. And answers are always so vast. It's like, oh, like the weather is so nice outside. Like I'm going to like make sure like I spend some time outside this week or like I like really just like want to do a face mask and lay on the couch. Like that feels like very kind to my body this week. And so it's giving these teens an opportunity to check in with themselves and say like, what might my body need this week? And so in this workbook, we have similar questions. And throughout this workbook, there are questions about like childhood ideas about body, current ideas about body. We explore personal values, personal strengths, how we can use those to move forward in ways that feel good and authentic. And like, where do we want to go? You know, like how can we show up for ourselves with more compassion and how do we get there? Yeah. Um, how do we get your workbook? Oh, it is on Amazon. Um, it is called Reclaiming Your Reflection, a weekly workbook to heal relationship with self and body. If you search Reclaiming Your Reflection, it's the first one that will come okay. up. I yeah. will also make sure that we put that in the show notes because I think that, that could be such a valuable tool. Um, because I think that for a lot of people, if they have been stuck in this cycle of telling themselves they need to be in a smaller body, they need to lose weight, they need to be thin, like that's been the goal for so long. They're, they're so exhausted. And especially by the time, like I'm 36, by the time you get to into your thirties, you're just like, uh, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this. Um, like I would love for this chatter in my head to finally go away. But the thought of sitting with someone and working on body acceptance of being able to say, I'm just going to learn to love my body where it is and stop trying to change it for those reasons. That actually can be really scary. That's a scary thought to shift your mindset from my body needs to change to no, actually like my mindset needs to change towards my body, you know, but that can be really scary. Yeah. I like love to use like kind of like acceptance and commitment therapy there from like this lens of even like thought diffusion and thought labeling. Like whenever that thought comes up of like, oh my gosh, I need to lose weight. Like is that you or is that diet culture? Like Ooh, who's that's so good, you know, like who's saying that? And like, mm-hmm. cause so I am engaged. I'm getting married next September. Um, and thank you. I feel like my whole TikTok feed has been like overhauled by like bridal weight loss and like bridal Botox and all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what all do I need to do for my wedding? Like I, I cannot, like, this feels horrible because like, that's not who I am. Like, that's not who I want to be. Like I have worked with so many brides and like, we've talked about like body joy, like leading up to wedding and like wanting to be present and be able to eat the cake and all the things like, 
I don't want to control my body on this journey. Like I just want to take care of my body and celebrate my body because it's allowing me to do this super exciting thing, you know? And so I think it's just like really getting curious about like whose thoughts are these? Like, is this coming from me? And if so, like, how come, what does that mean? But if not, like, can I dismiss that as diet culture? Can I label it as diet culture and say like, Oh, like, that's not me. And that's a cloud passing by. I'm the sky. Like we're just going to let it go. Yeah. I love that to be able to ask yourself, like, did that really come for me? Is that really my thought? Because a lot of times it's not just diet culture. A lot of times it's our mom's voice. It's our grandmother's voice. Um, it's somebody in our family that made an impression on us when we were a real, at a really, really young age. Um, and maybe they didn't even say it to us. Maybe we heard it say them say it to themselves. Like if you had a mom that was constantly dieting, like you said. I used to work at an eating disorder um, treatment center and one of like the program directors, I remember on my first day, she and I were talking and we were talking about like why eating disorder work. And she was like, I was at a party with my daughter and I saw some woman dab pizza grease off. And my daughter said, mom, like, why did she do that? And I was like, I can never be that person. Like that can't be the person Mm -hmm. that like, I don't want my daughter to fear pizza grease. And I was like, Mm -hmm. like, like we just learn all these things from people who are so unintending, but it is so harmful. It creates so much fear. That this is another question that we didn't talk about before, but maybe you can speak on it. Um, How do we talk to our kids about this? Like, Like, what are some tips that you have about like, body positivity around our children? I actually think with kids, like if we can just be super body neutral, like if Mm -hmm. your kid comes home and is like, someone told me I have big thighs on the playground being like, yeah, like big thighs are awesome. Like you play soccer, like those like help you run, like just like getting to be really like weight and size neutral. Because Mm -hmm. then like if this client or this kid, like, is that six foot girl on your Instagram feed? Like, then she doesn't feel shame later about being in this larger body naturally, you know? Like, I think, like, if we can be neutral about body and, like, positive and complimentary as appropriate, but I think so often parents are well-intending of, like, they a kid comes home from school, like, someone called me fat, and, like, immediate, it's like, no, you're not. You're so beautiful. Like, la di da da But mm. all that does is tell the kid that fat is not beautiful. And That's it creates exactly a bad it, right? Word. Yeah. So yeah. fat can be a neutral word. If fat can just be a descriptor, it's the same as having brown hair or blonde hair, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's not scary anymore. Then it's not bad. Then it's not shameful. And with food stuff, like, can we talk about food in a way that, like, food does really cool things for us? There's food that fills our soul and there's food that fills our belly is like, there's fun foods, you know, like, and like, can we create balance on plates? Can cookies be allowed any day? Like, can we have treats at home, but can we also have like all the food groups, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Because kids know when they eat too much sugar, like kids have had an experience on Halloween where they eat a thousand pieces of candy and their tummy hurts. And that's like where there's space for education around like, let's just remember that for next time. Like this is like a little bit too much. Like we don't want our stomachs to hurt. So like we can pause after like a couple pieces mm-hmm. and cause it's always going to be in the pantry. Like you can always have candy. It doesn't have to be this like exciting thing. It's just candy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I guess to wrap up, I would just ask, um, Like, what is a message that you would want to get to women who are kind of like existing in this space? Um, Whether it's like some advice or tips or just like, what would you want your message to be to women about this whole topic, this whole conversation? Oh, that's so broad. I I know. So many thoughts just like went through my head because I think there's like a part of me that's like, can we as like a collective get curious about like quote unquote ideal body and beauty standards? Like, can we diversify what that means? And can we explore health on multiple facets? Because I think like so often people will be like, well, like all bodies are beautiful, but like I, like I need to be this size to be beautiful or like Mm -hmm. I need to be the size to be accepted, right? Like there's this exception to the rule. And so like, 
I guess like my message is like, can we develop curiosity as to like where these things are coming from? And can we develop self-compassion to like challenge ourselves or hold ourselves in a way that like isn't shaming, but just like really non-judgmental and curious to get us to a space like where we actually feel better? Like, can we hold space for our grief about like lies that diet culture has told us, grief Ooh. for our moms and grandmas and societal oh, I love that. you know, as like we work towards honoring our body and just allowing our body to be this like envelope for the soul, you know, so that we like we can live lives that feel aligned with our values that make us feel sparkly and excited. Yeah. And even hearing you say like, make sure that we live lives aligned with our values. I think a lot of times we have forgotten what our values are because Mm -hmm. like you said, we have so many thoughts in our head that are not our own that we have forgotten what is actually valuable to us. Um, and so maybe there's some room for that work too, to say, if I'm telling myself I need to be smaller, what is it that I'm valuing? Yeah. If that's what I'm telling myself. Um, and how does worth interweave into that? Because I think that if you define your values outside of diet culture, there's a lot more value in things like self-acceptance, self-compassion, things like that. And you realize that that doesn't align yeah right yeah well and like even with like so one of my top values is wonder and so like for me like that shows up with like food and like being willing to try new things like yeah. go outside of comfort zone or things like that or like with like body like can I get curious about fashion choices can I get like interested in new trends or like even like being like creative there you know like can we find ways that like food and body and self-acceptance and self-love align with like even like, I guess like values that like feel different, like, cause I don't know if very many people think like, oh, like wonder as like a food and body value, you know? I had, I would never have thought of that, but I love it. Yeah. But how do you know that about yourself? Like, how do you know that that's one of your values? So I do a lot of acceptance and commitment therapy with uh-huh. clients and a big part of acceptance and commitment therapy is values, exploration and identification. Okay. Um, there are like great value list online. Um, And so I always recommend, this is something I do with my clients that stemmed from like working with a teenage boy, really trying to get him bought into therapy. I have a list of like 300 values. Uh I have clients go through and read out any and all that like feel like pretty important or significant to them. And I like write them down. And this is where my teenage boy client really helped me. We put it into a March Madness bracket. And so we had a basketball style bracket. <laughs> That's and so we funny. Were just, yeah, going like smaller and smaller until like we got to his like top eight, I think. But really just so he could have some more values clarity around like what is important to him? Like what does he want his life to stand for? What principles really guide his life? You don't have to make a March Madness bracket, but you could start with a broad list, write down ones that feel important to you, and then narrow it down and figure out, like, where do these things show up for me, you know? Yeah. like, And, like, how do I even define these things? Because I think a value that can be, like, an asset and a liability is health. Um, and so, like, is health purely diet or is it so much more, you know? Yeah. And what feels even more like aligned with other values when I look at that, like how do my values work together? Yeah. I love that. I love doing a values exercise with my clients too, because I think that so often when we just feel off in a certain area of life, if you go through and define, define your values and you narrow it down, like you just said, you can ask yourself the question, are these different areas of life allowing me to live according to my values? And a lot of times if something feels off, whether it's your work environment, um, your relationship, your um, friendships, whatever it is, if it feels off, you'll realize what value is not aligned in that area. And then you can make like decisions about, okay, well then how would I live more aligned with my values and what changes do I need to make from that? So I love that. Yeah. And even with like a food and body perspective, like sometimes diet culture gets sneaky on us and like we find ourselves like leaning into some diet culture values. And again, that's where that labeling becomes so helpful because like with ordering a salad or a sandwich, like that guilt comes from like, oh, I'm doing something that's not value aligned. But again, whose value, right? Like diet culture is not mine because like- Oh, I love that. Yeah. value fun and sandwiches are fun. I don't know. Whatever feels good there. (laughs) 
yeah, or like experiences. Like that's that's a big one for me mm-hmm. is to have like really cool experiences. So I guess that's kind of like wonder. I like that. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that on a list before. Um, but it I like that. It was on like this massive list I found, and I was like, that's it. That's my value. I love one. That. <laughs> yeah. I might have to see how I can weave that into mine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if your value is experience and you're having to, to tell yourself no to experiences, whether it's avoiding going to dinner with your friends yeah, or whether it's avoiding something on the menu because diet culture has told you that it's quote unquote bad, you're not living according to your value because what's at your core is wonder and experience. I love yeah. that. That's such a good note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been so good, but also refreshing. Yeah. I'm so glad I could be here. One thing I do want to ask you before we jump off though, is the question that I ask all of my guests, um, which is if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, um, does it necessarily have to apply to the conversation that we've had today? Um, just in general, what's one thing you would want to tell her? I think to like, be okay with changing your opinion when given new information. I think like – Ooh, I love that. For so long, I just like was like so heel dug in. Like this is just how it has to be. And like whenever I like gave myself freedom to be like, no, like I'm allowed to change. Like that's okay. Like mm. so much more felt right for me. Like I remember like it being so hard to change my major in college because I was like, this is what I'm doing when I got there. And like when I like found social work, I was like – shit like I have to do that like allowed me to start changing my mind but I think that it like also like kind of forced me to like dig deeper into myself and like I think that can feel so scary but it was also so freeing and so I think I would just want her to know that's going to be okay like you're allowed to yeah. change your mind and you're allowed to like learn and grow but and you're I was going to say that's like, how we no grow part. yeah yeah I love that yeah yeah Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for um, just the work that you do. I think it's so important. And I I just have so many hopes, especially for the next generation, that this is something that we're doing a little bit better and we're finally getting it right. Um, So just thank you for the work that you do and for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate it. I had such a good time. Yeah. So everyone, I will make sure to link her workbook in the show notes and make sure you go check that out as well as information on how to get in touch with her. Um, That's all we have today. Hope everybody has a good week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Outside of Session. Remember, while I am a licensed therapist, this podcast is not a substitute for individual therapy. The contents of this episode are for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 for immediate assistance or dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.